Welcome to the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. This podcast is meant to inspire you to take the next step in your development journey as a faculty member. We're really excited to bring you excellent and interesting content, from inspiring you to teach or supervise more effectively, to leading and managing your own team, to thinking about creative or humanistic ways to do your work, and finally, to build up your skills in scholarly practice. We welcome you to sit back, listen, and enjoy the latest episode of the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. In this episode, we hear from Dr. Roberta Preston talk about peer observation of teaching. She discusses topics such as how she became interested in that field, how faculty can adopt coaching mindsets for feedback delivery, and getting feedback that would improve personal professional development. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Spark Podcast, and today I'm really looking forward to speaking with Roberta Preston, who is a colleague at Dalhousie and used to be here at McMaster. So welcome, Roberta. It's really nice to have you. Thank you very much for the invitation. So as a start, could you provide a brief background of your current role? at Dalhousie, and then also how you came from McMaster, or where you came from, McMaster, to Dalhousie. Absolutely. So my current role within Dalhousie is in the Faculty of Medicine, and it's a joint role, split role. So half of my time is resident affairs as a learner development officer, and I'll explain that in a minute. And the other half of my role is in faculty wellness and working with the newly, um, well, newly the last two and a half years created office. So my role within resident affairs is coaching individual residents and offering group sessions and group learning on a variety of topics. Before I joined Dalhousie, I was at McMaster. And before McMaster, I was an executive coach. And so I had about, I can say 15 years coaching individuals and groups, um, a lot in, in the sort of business district of Toronto. So some of the, the heavy hitters on Bay Street. And I found that the skills that I was using coaching individuals there is actually very applicable to coaching high achieving, very driven hardworking residents. So it seemed like a natural fit. Um, In the middle of this, I did my doctorate in higher education and focused on peer coaching. And that was predominantly at McMaster University. And uh, as you're describing your coaching background, Roberta, I am recalling a previous conversation that we had because you and I both have attended the same coaching institute and I too have an interest in that coaching certification. 
the um, I, I have to check myself though because I know that the focus of our podcast episode today is not on coaching, and so I will need to focus on our uh, topic at hand, which is that I'm very interested in hearing about your experiences with peer observation of teaching, and this, as a background to the listeners, is what prompted me to reach out to Roberta in the first place. I am a part of a collaboration here at McMaster with University of Toronto and University of of Ottawa doing a study on pure observation of teaching. And as I was looking into the literature around POT, I saw Roberta's dissertation and immediately I thought, I recognize this name. I've never met Roberta in person or on Zoom and I need to reach out to Roberta and discover that you are at Dalhousie. So all that to say, Roberta, I'm very interested to hear about your interest in peer observation of teaching. How did you become interested in this to do your dissertation on this? And then also the second part of the question is, what were some of the key takeaways that you gathered or gleaned from this work on POT? Okay, and I do actually think having a conversation about coaching is relevant. So I think we can talk about that because my experience has been that coaching takes many different forms. And it's applicable in many different areas. And so my initial interest was coaching for my dissertation. And the opportunity to focus on peer observation became uh, more, um, uh, it it was offered to me. And I thought, well, actually, both can be linked very closely because some of the skills within peer observation are coach-like. Because if individuals don't come from it with a perspective of coaching, then it's not peer observation, it's peer evaluation. And that was one of the distinctions that I was able to to pull out of my research, that it's, it's very important that any peer observer has those coaching-like skills in order to help, because otherwise- That's a really great point. Yeah, otherwise it's not peer observation and it's not in a helpful mode. And it's interesting for this conversation, I went back and I was like, oh, what did I write all those years ago? I'm very curious to know what my findings, remind myself what the findings were and what I can now see. I didn't have the language then, but it is around psychological safety. It's about building trust amongst colleagues, trust in the institution, that whatever is being off offered to faculty will not be it will not be counted against them and if i was to rewrite it now i would use very different language yeah and i would probably focus more on trust building as a foundation to any peer observation program yes that's a really important point and i'm mulling over this as you're speaking it's It's an insight for me that pure observation of teaching without that mindset of coaching becomes pure assessment of teaching or evaluation of teaching, which is a completely different, there's a completely different mindset around that. There's a completely different environment and context that is then created. 
So, so thank you for that. I'm just taking a few seconds to consider right. how, yeah, pure observation of teaching must be embedded within a coaching mindset. Sorry, go ahead. Great. And with the work that I do with residents, I'm, I'm aware of a lot of the literature around fear and learning. And that when we have fear, our minds don't, they don't function. Um, they don't function the way that we need people to function to learn deeper level concepts. So, you know, on a basic level, adrenaline, cortisol, all those emotional flooding um, hormones flood the brain and people are not able to do their best. And I think we have to remember that that also can happen to faculty, that it doesn't suddenly stop when they become staff. And that we're dealing with human beings with human emotions and we have to make it in a, a most supportive environment. Especially, I know that from my time at McMaster, finding tutors, clinicians who would be willing to give up their time was increasingly a challenge, especially in our divert, like in our uh, distributed medical education environment. So for asking people to give up clinical time, we have to be um, aware that we need to do that in the most, I'm going to say, kind and loving way we can, to make it a, you know, something of of joy that they enjoy their teaching. And thinking about that environment that you're creating, that is uh, most conducive to having faculty come on board and uh, contribute to the learner's experience. How have you integrated these concepts of peer support of teaching with residents, as well as fostering that environment of psychological safety and openness to learning? I know it's a huge topic. That's, yeah. that's huge. Uh, perhaps a few examples. <laughs> sure, sure. But, and again, it's, you know, the language has evolved. And it's, it's really a, actually quite um, uh, encouraging to see how, how we now have words for things that we were speaking about seven years ago, five years, you know, five years ago. Things like imposter syndrome. We didn't actually talk about imposter syndrome. So being upfront and honest with faculty, so within the faculty wellness part of my job, again, we do, I, I do uh, like professional development sessions. We talk about things like imposter syndrome and feelings of shame, um, feelings of, um, of fear of not being good enough to be able to put language around it. So when we have newer faculty or faculty who've maybe had a bumpy time in a, a lecture that we can somehow normalize the emotions of it. So that's one way. Another way, and this is the flip side of it, and it's interesting because I just was on a meeting and I implored one of the senior leaders to speak to the senior leader of undergraduate medical education to remind medical students that what they write in their evaluations matters. And so they're not leaving a restaurant review. <laughs> this is not Yelp. The faculty member will be reading those comments. 
and they have to be as professional as they expect the faculty to be professional. And that we have to together work at having a safe environment. And I, I really feel strongly, and I'm gonna keep mentioning that in my world to remind people that we everyone's just trying to do their best, both sides. Yeah, that's such an important point that you raise about providing feedback and the need for our learners and participants of our, our programs, our faculty that participate in our workshops to provide that feedback so that we can build programs and events that meet the needs. And we can also provide faculty to teach that meet the needs of our learners. I, I wonder how, uh, have, have you adopted any strategies that help to increase not only the response rate, if you want to look at it in terms of numbers, the response rate of the participants and the learners, as well as the response quality, oh. given these prompts? Interesting. I've not done any number, because that's not within my role of, of that. But I think the thing that I will say, and it kind of, I'm repeating myself, is starting to speak courageously about it to say um, for myself I'm very open I feel nervous when I or I've put a lot of effort into this and I would my expectation is that so we're, we're not walking into situations sort of cutting ourselves off from ourselves Mm-hmm. Yes, like yeah. defeating ourselves before we have a chance to get started. So in a very small example, if I'm speaking about a topic that I feel somewhat uncomfortable, I'll, I'll say that up front. And I will reduce the anxiety in the room. So those are some of the, the pieces that I can do as an individual, or I can give a colleague support you know, I've, I've, I've presented with you many times. You seem a little nervous. Is there anything I can help you with? So having that language around, you know, going back to the, the evaluations from learners, I made this suggestion and everyone laughed and I, I, I said, no, I think we should do it. I don't know if you've seen mean tweets, famous people's mean tweets. Oh, yes. Where they... Uh... Like you have a celebrity that reads the, the tweets and then it's like a video. Yeah. I said, I think we need to call it out. Uh, we need oh to call it goodness. out. No names. Yeah. No names at all, but to say, because again, so if we go back to peer observation of teaching, there's an environment of fear of many faculty of either saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, getting in trouble, having people complain. And yeah. so from even five years ago, things have moved, have changed. And in a lot of ways, it's great because there ne it needs to be a, a, a safe environment for learning. But we can't forget the faculty safety as well. You know, you're bringing up a really good point because it reminds me of some of the feedback that I've heard from our faculty and department chairs in that they come to 
us in faculty development and they say, you know, I have faculty who are reluctant to give feedback to our learners, residents, senior trainees because of the fear of backlash and or the fear of a negative response. Right. And this also came out when we were talking about this in the context of accreditation and uh, the, the learner environment. Do you have any experience with, well, it, it sounds like you do have experience with this. And do you have any approaches or strategies that you've adopted in your, your context at Dalhousie? Um, I think we're struggling with it. Mm-hmm. I think we faculty will probably feel similar to the McMaster faculty. Some people are nervous about it. Some people don't have to teach. So they're walking away from it. Yes. I know myself, I have challenged myself to read the room and speak about what's going on in the room. And so I'll give you an example. So there was a group in, uh, of residents in, in one program and I was asked to speak to them about a certain topic and I could feel it that they, I knew these individual residents and they were angry. So I, I stepped forward and said, I feel like you're angry about what I'm talking about. And I opened that dialogue mm-hmm. and they, they were angry. And they said, we're sick of this. We don't want to hear about this. We're done. Stop telling us to be well because the system is not well. So we had a a very different conversation that I don't know if I would have if I didn't feel, um, uh, if I didn't feel safe enough to say that. And I would have continued on and they would have continued getting angry with me. And it would have been a disaster. And they would have switched off. Yes. Um, and in the end, I just said, you know, I, I thank you for your feedback and we'll, we'll stop the session. And the interesting thing is I had received many, many emails from the residents just saying, thank you for asking. Wow. We didn't want to hurt your feelings. I'm like, my feelings weren't hurt. Mm. We talk about psychological safety, so we need to make it safe. Yes. Yeah. And you're describing that you felt safe enough to share that. And also I see that in your feeling of safety to share that or to open up that conversation and to be open about what you were observing. Right. And bringing that back to to coaching, I took a coaching mindset. Yes, exactly. That's what I was just going (laughs) to say. Yeah, because you're opening up the, the environment for others then to move into a position of feeling psychologically safe to respond, right. to say, yes, no, I'm, I am angry. And you're, anything that you say to me won't help at this moment or whatever it may <laughs> <Yes>. be <laughs> that they yeah. experience. So, you know, I, I, I know I prefaced our conversation by saying, oh, we're not going to talk about coaching and all this. However, yes, you're, 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 convincing me that there is a a deep connection between coaching and our topic around peer observation of teaching. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, in your work with faculty, in the training of faculty to provide feedback or uh, faculty as teachers and uh, 
the the feedback providers for learners. Are there some quick approaches that you take to help faculty adopt a coaching mindset in their feedback delivery so that it becomes less uh, evaluation and assessment focused and more coaching and support focused? Right, so there's a wonderful program that the previous assistant dean of faculty wellness, uh, Dr. Ange Cooper, she's a psychologist. So she had presented this many times uh, in many different environments around emotions and teaching and quick ways to alleviate tension in a room in order to teach. Get kind of like what I just described, get mm -hmm. the anxiety down so the content can be delivered. And she goes through a wonderful presentation about when um, people are like projecting, you know, mm -hmm. they're expecting something bigger and better from the, the teacher and the faculty. Um, so she has a lot of tips and, and techniques about that. I think on a peer-to-peer, in the conversation, again, it, it's, it's around your environment. Dalhousie has an environment where I have to say, in my experience, the egos are not out there. Mm. The egos are in check. Mm. And I've been in other environments where the egos have been out there. So it's, you know, a room full of egos. Mm. Whereas yeah. I feel here, it's more a room full of colleagues. Wow. So fostering that piece of it, that we're not competing, we are collaborating, we are supporting. I too feel like an imposter some days. This is how I get over it. I don't know if that answered your question. Oh, it, it's really nice. I, I, feel, I can hear and sense that sense of, oh, or that environment of collegiality, the culture of support that then is so necessary to embed our activities around feedback, around support, and also around assessment when assessments are needed. And having that that environment of support, no egos or low egos, and the, the focus on really um, supporting each other mm -hmm. is so valuable. And it's something that I, I um, discovered when I did my work at McMaster was the importance of people choosing their observer and not having it chosen for them. Because we often don't know the politics, we don't know the histories. It's a very small community within healthcare. So, yes, yeah. yes, and you know that's a very important point because my uh, my I'll I'll wrap up with one final question. It's kind of big, but also I'll give you a chance to take it in any direction you wish. So, we have as part of our faculty appointments and as part of the process for promotion and for advancement is that we need to compile a dossier. Yes. And part of that teaching portfolio or teaching, teaching dossier is to then so gather uh, several peer observers of our teaching. 
And the teaching context can vary from the clinical bedside teaching, teaching at the bedside, it could be lectures, small group seminars, et cetera. So do you have some recommendations for how we can go about obtaining these pure observations of our teaching in a way that, yes, we recognize it's a requirement from the university, but also getting feedback that would then best support our own personal and professional development. Almost like EPAs for... <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. Interesting. So how is it done now? So currently, as we move forward for promotion or even for contract renewals for those that are in the tenure and the teaching tracks or the contractually limited appointments, we are required to have a dossier that includes examples of peer observations of teaching. And so usually what happens, and I'll just speak very practically, the majority of faculty They scrambled to get a few people to give them some feedback so that they can put it into their portfolio to submit it to the tenure and promotion committee. And it becomes an exercise, not so much for professional development, but rather procedural, just uh, this is part of the checklist that I need Mm -hmm. to do. And so really there's there's a disconnect between having to do the peer observations and it actually informing one's own practice. So in in your environment, with your experience of coaching or experience with coaching, as well as with faculty wellness and supporting that and learner uh, and the the resident training process, are there there some suggestions or tips that you could provide for faculty in soliciting peer observations? I have a lot to say. I'm going to try. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Because the way I can see it, I can, and I understand it's like getting letters of reference. It's a performance. How did I perform? Will you tell me in a letter that I'm a good performer? Correct? Like it's like. Right. Uh, That's kind of the uh, un or the the hidden curriculum part, even though it is openly expressed as well this is to help develop us develop and it's supposed to be you know feedback etc practically we all know it's not so 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 the i would say the the truer piece of this is having individuals who are like trained peer supporters it's almost like way before that can you come and help me learn how to answer difficult questions or can you I don't feel comfortable when the group is starting to get out of hand that's where I actually need help because the letter is at the end and that's not truly where the help is so my advice was would be to find a mechanism where people can openly say I need some help here or I don't feel comfortable here and there's no type tie forward to their reappointment it's not a weakness it's something that is celebrated that we you know we encourage healthcare students to ask for help don't leave it too late come and ask for help we should be doing that with faculty too so 
Is that upstream or yes. downstream? I never know which way. Right. It's a, a different part of the stream, but yes, I see what you're saying. Exactly. Because what you're describing immediately, I'm thinking you're, you're not focused on just that goal uh, or that bigger uh, piece of promotion or evaluation for your faculty appointment, but rather you're taking the small steps uh, to, to, have a mindset of asking for feedback, receiving feedback. Yeah, and, and asking for help. Like, it, it's okay. It's okay. We're not going to judge you if you're feeling nervous. It's okay because I, too, have felt nervous in the past. And let me sit with you. Let me be there and give you some some pointers in a non-judgmental, yeah. in a coaching mindset, which leads me to another <laughs> tangent but I read an article, uh, I'm going to say six months ago, cannot remember the title, but I can provide it to you. It was around leadership and millennials and Gen Z and the newest one's going to be called Alpha. Okay. And that if we don't understand the shift that's happening and we continue to educate and we continue to lead in our old mindsets, we're gonna have a problem. And my work with residents day in and day out is informing me that things are beginning to change, that they're no longer attached. And the literature supports this. They are no longer attached to the, the things that maybe you or I are attached to. So they want better quality of life, more balance, less attachment to their role and their title. And so what are academics and what is academia based on is based on the role, the title, the number of publications, and the generation coming, especially clinicians, they can find they can find other things to do. Mm. And so again, sort of the alarm bell is beginning to ding 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 in the back of my mind that we're gonna have to think about a different approach to encourage and and um, younger younger physicians to or younger staff or nurses to teach we're going to have to find a different approach and if you're telling somebody perhaps who's 30 35 that these are all the steps in order to be called an associate professor they may choose something else Mm. Mm. and institutionally we have to be careful about that about what we're creating Right. You're, I, I'm hearing you describe that with the millennial, Gen Z, alpha, upcoming alpha generations, there's a shift in mindset such that our, our, the incentives mm. that we provide or perhaps even the, um, the criteria by which we evaluate those who come into our communities the, yeah. the, those will need to be at least re-examined, if not shifted or changed, because the the mindset of those coming into the profession are are evolving. Right. So one of the things that I do offer is uh, I help interview uh, skill preparation for people who are at the end of their fellowships. So they're going to their first job and they are very specific about 
teaching, not teaching. And they will, they will say, you know, I'd love to live in, I'm going to make it out Calgary. But if I live somewhere else, I don't have to teach. Oh, interesting. Yes. And that will, that will change their decision or that it factors into their decision. Yeah. So I just think sort of longer term, we have to think about, yeah, it, it's right. changed. It's a changing environment. Yeah, and you know, it, it connects to our conversation in that my takeaway is right now, we're talking about pure observation of teaching. And right now, we have a certain mechanism in place to, for, for academic appointment purposes, to solicit peer observations of teaching because the belief is that that helps to enhance our teaching capabilities, etc. And yet, we can't hold on to those processes, nor can we hold on to those uh, expectations or evaluate, uh, I guess, appointment criteria too tightly, given that there is a shifting and evolving uh, landscape in terms of the people that are, are coming into academia, our future healthcare professionals, our future faculty in the health sciences, they're going to have different expectations and we need to be attuned to that in the criteria that we set for within the institution. That was beautifully summarized. Oh boy. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, these are all new insights that I'm thinking of on the spot. So thank you for uh, helping me to see that. And it's such an important point, especially for those like you and others that are in leadership roles and that are shaping the policies and procedures for the future. Well, and I feel all I can do is just raise my hand and say, you know, I see danger ahead. And whether yes. the senior leaders wanna hear that, whether academia and in each institution will hear that, I don't know. Right. But all I can do is support individuals and you know, on a daily basis, just try to do my best. Yeah. Oh, this is very helpful, Roberta. I really appreciate your insights. And it is so evident to me how your coaching mindset comes through in the work that you do, as well as in the ways that you're thinking about these issues. So thank you for sharing with us. And thank you also for sharing your time with us to be on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Mac PFD Spark podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Office for Continuing Professional Development and the Program for Faculty Development at McMaster University's Faculty of Health Sciences. For more information on faculty development, be sure to check out our website at macpfd.ca. That's M-A-C-P-F-D.ca. Here you can find other episodes as well as resources for your personal and professional development. A quick shout out to our sound engineer, Ishan Mania Panda, who has been an amazing asset to our team. Another shout out to Scott Holmes, who composed and supplied us with the music you've been listening to. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it, and be sure to tune in for our future episodes.